Yeah, let's just thank God for his goodness. I want to welcome you here today. My name is Nate, one of the pastors, and that is why we are here, because God is continuing to do a good and holy work in this world. No matter what we face, God is on the move, and he's redeeming lives. Saw baptism today in this service. We got baptisms next service. We got baptisms after that service. And this is the joy that we have, that every single one of us in this place, you know, you this may be your first time, or maybe you've been here for a while, but nobody knows your story. I just want to let you know today, your Heavenly Father knows your story story. He loves you. He has given you his son so that you can find new life. As a matter of fact, uh, Clay was the guy in the video at the very last scene there uh, that got baptized after our last baptism weekend. And uh, Clay was the one who uh, showed up just to support his friend who was getting baptized. He wasn't here to even get baptized. I said, Clay, do you realize you're in the wrong line? Right? You know, this is the baptism line. And uh, he just began just to cry backstage. And I said, man, what, what's going on? You know, what's the Lord doing? And just backstage in, an, in a moment of vulnerability, that, that was Clay there at the end, he said, 27 years ago, 27 years ago, my dad was on his way to church and he was killed by a semi-truck. And he said, I've been angry with God for the last 27 years. And he just said, I can't do it anymore. See, the good news of Jesus is this. He didn't just come to die for our sins. He came to conquer death. And there are things that you and I face in this world that just wreck our world and we don't know how to process. And what Jesus says is this, you come to me because I'm the one who didn't just overcome sin, I've overcome death so that you and I can have new life. And I wanna invite you in two weeks, March 5th and 6th, it's gonna be our baptism weekend again. And I wanna invite you, if you've never taken that step of baptism over the next two weeks, we just wanna invite you into a conversation with one of our staff or leaders here in the church just to talk about what does that look like. And uh, we love this and actually a great verse to talk about this that was showed in the videos, Romans chapter six, verse three and four. For some of you, baptism might be new. Here's what baptism is. This is what Paul says. It's one of my favorite passages about baptism. In Romans six, verse three through four, it says, or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death as well? We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a what? New life. See, God has come to give you and I a new life, a fresh way in the midst of this world. And this is what the calling of the church is to be, to be people who live this new life empowered by the Spirit of God that changes us from the inside out, that gives us a new purpose, a new way to live. I love what's gonna happen this Tuesday night. It's gonna be an absolute party here on this campus. We have a thing that the Lord has really started here called Finishing Well. And it's for those who are 55 and older. And we card you, just like at the club, right? You know, and, and, and I love this Finishing Well. And it's for people 55 and older. And here's why. This is what we believe. That the church isn't just to get younger, although the church needs to get younger. The church also needs to get older. Because God is saying, my life, my grace is for every generation, it's for every person. And on Tuesday night, what we do is this, we want to get people who are 55 and older, remind them of their calling, remind them of what God wants to do in their life here and now. I just got a quick question for you. Just, just take a little life inventory. Just show of hands real quick, if your parents or your grandparents were the spiritual influence in your life for your faith today. Just raise your hand, if you're, right? Look at the power in this room. Matter of fact, uh, she's not gonna like this, but grandma, 
And grandpa, can you just raise your hand here in the back? I'm calling you out, right? And this is my grandma and grandpa back here, right? And uh, this is what I love, man. I love. They're from Scottsburg. This is what I love about them. Ever since I was a baby. Matter of fact, uh, grandma, I, I got it. You guys have credit for this. Dad met my mom in the church that they went to. So I owe you a big thanks. Like I'm not here today, right? Without you investing in mom. And here's the power of this. Sometimes we underestimate. We underestimate the influence that God wants to have in and through us. And we just look at people and we say either they have it or they don't. And we just look on the exterior when God is going, that's not how I qualify people. How I qualify people is through the power of my spirit. And this is why we gather today, young and old, people who are pursuing a relationship or not, because here's the deal of the church. The church isn't just young and the church just isn't old. You know what the calling of the church is to be? Faithful, faithful. Looking at my grandma back there, and I'm looking at a crew of young men down here who are in high school that just baptized their friend a couple weeks ago. See, this is what makes the power of the church. It's all of us together pursuing the living God, being this new life together. And this is why we're doing this series called Dear Church, because Jesus writes to the church that he died for, that he loves. And here's the thing today. We're going to look at the church in, in Sardis. And here's what's happened in the church of Sardis. They've fallen asleep at the will. They forgot the calling and the new life that God has placed on their life. And here's the deal about Sardis. I know none of us really have like, you know, spring breaks coming up. I, I've never heard the conversation, man, I'm really looking to go to Sardis, right? You know what I'm saying? It kind of really doesn't exist a whole lot right now. It's just ancient ruins. But here's what you know about Sardis and why Jesus is writing to it and why they've fallen asleep is this. Sardis doesn't experience when Jesus writes persecution. Matter of fact, the only thing that the church is experiencing is a lot of good things in the world. Here's a picture actually of Sardis. This is the ruins. That is the ancient, uh, uh, this is ancient ruins of the temple to Artemis. And in the background, what you can see is just these incredible mountains. Now here's the deal about Sardis. They were surrounded by, by mountains like this. And here's what that meant. There was no military force that could just come in and overtake them. You had to like go single file line to go overtake Sardis. And so when the church started in Sardis, here was the condition. They had military support. Nobody could get in. Gold started being mined. One of the first places that gold and silver were mined were in Sardis. They are a rich community. They have all sorts of luxury and food. They had military, money, and meals. And here's what happened. The church fell asleep at the wheel. See, the temptation for you and I today is this. Man, we live in an incredible country. We live in an incredible time. We think we're being oppressed when our Wi-Fi goes out, right? Like, why does God hate me, right? You know, the Wi-Fi is out today, right? You know, and then what do we say? Hashtag what? First world what? First world problems, oh, right? You know, and we think we're just going through so much. And here's the real danger on this is this. If we're not careful, just like Sardis, if we're not careful, we're gonna fall asleep at the wheel of faith today. And the good news is Jesus speaks to his church and he calls his church back into relationship with him. We've done this every week. And what we've done is when we've stood up to read the scripture, just to say, God, we want to have our full attention on you. And so I want to invite you today. We're going to read just six verses. You guys can stand up with me. This is what Jesus says to the church in Sardis. I'm going to read it out loud for us. It'll be up on the screen. 
And what we're saying today is this, when we stand up, we're going, God, wake me up. Some of you, you needed to stand up, like you're already asleep, right, you know? Here's what Jesus says to the church in Sardis, the church that he died for, the church that he loves. He says to the angel of the church in Sardis, write this. These are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God, talking about the Holy Spirit and the seven stars, talking about the church. See, Jesus holds the Holy Spirit and the church. He says, I know your deeds and you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Imagine that, man. Like everybody gets together like this. Oh, Jesus wrote us a letter. You have a reputation of being alive. You're dead. Wake up, Jesus says. Strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember, therefore, what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief and you will not know what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. If we were in junior high ministry, this would be where everybody starts cracking up right now, right? But he says, they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. And he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white. I will never blot out his name from the book of life, but will acknowledge him before my father and his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. You guys can have a seat. See, Jesus in this moment here, I love what he says, and we've got to be careful to not read scripture with just our experiences or just our attitudes or just our thoughts. We want Jesus to speak for himself and this is why we open God's word and we listen to God's word because what Jesus says to the church in Sardis is this. He says this, wake up, wake up church. Now here's the thing, sometimes when we read that phrase, wake up, sometimes we put our experiences on it and it reminds you of like your football coach that was always angry at you. Right, you know, just yelling at you and cussing at you. Wake up, Ross, right? You know, or maybe that was your parent that just yelled at you. And so when you hear that phrase, wake up, it's a very negative phrase. Can I just let you know that when Jesus says this to the church, when he says it to you and I, when he says to wake up, he's not this angry coach, he's a kind king. You ever been driving? And maybe, you know, nobody raised your hand, but you were texting. Or maybe you were just changing the radio station, or maybe you would turn around to yell at your kid, right? You know, something's going on, and then you, you started feeling and hearing this, what are you hitting? The rumble strip, right? What's the rumble strip there for? Wake you up. Hey, 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 you're about ready to go in the ditch. You're going 70. Let's be real. Some of you are going 85 miles an hour, right? You're about ready to fly off this road. And the rumble strip is there to go, hey, wake up. Come back to it. Wake up, wake up. It's not there to demoralize you. It's not there to just beat you down. The rumble strip is to wake you up. See, here the church had fallen asleep. Jesus says this words. He goes, you have a reputation for being alive. Other people know that you're a Christian. Other people know that you go to church. That's great. But really, you're dead. Wake up, church. Wake up. This is what Jesus is saying to the church. He's going, you've fallen asleep. And really, if you're taking notes, this is what it means to fall asleep at the wheel of faith. It's that when we fall asleep in our faith, it's when we've begun to choose comfort over our calling in this world. That's when we fall asleep. 
Now, some of you are going, Nate, you telling me I can't enjoy a latte? I'm not saying that, right? I'm not saying we can't enjoy some of the choice drinks and food that God has blessed us with. The problem in the church of Sardis is this. Jesus doesn't even open up with any compliments. He doesn't go, you're doing this and you're doing that. That's how he's open with other books. He just goes flat out. You think you're alive and you're dead. You need to wake up, church. And what's happening is this. The church is giving way to just the comforts of the world. All they're pursuing is the comfort. They go, oh, yeah, 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 I believe in God. But their life isn't following that way. Michael Watson, one of the guys who I meet with weekly just to review the passage, and he does some sermon research for me. Great guy, went to Bible college with him, great leader in our church. We were meeting this, this week, and as we were meeting, he said this to me. He goes, Nate, you ever fallen asleep at the wheel? I said, no, no, I never have. I said, have you? He goes, yeah, I did. He goes, I actually fell asleep on the way home from Bible college one year. He was born and raised in Frankfort, Kentucky. Our Bible college was in Lincoln, Illinois. And he said, I remember I was driving home. I can't remember what, uh, what break it was, whether it was Thanksgiving or Christmas break. But he said, I was driving home. And he said, I was driving home. And he goes, here's the deal. I stayed too late to hang out with my friends. He goes, so I got too late of a start. I start driving through the night. I had stayed up for, you know, all of our midterm exams. So I'm tired, been pulling all these overnight, you know, all-nighters. He goes, I'm driving home. And he said, I'm literally about Scottsburg up there. You know, there's some rest areas. And he goes, and I feel myself like starting to go asleep, right? And you know that feeling. You've had like four Red Bulls, you know, and it's like no Red Bulls keeping you awake. And he said, as I just started, I started kind of getting a little bit tired. He goes, I should have pulled over. I didn't pull over. He goes, I just kept driving, kept driving. And he goes, and I got on the Kennedy Bridge. Anybody remember when it was just one bridge, right? You know, we're old school, right? We had one bridge when we grew up, kids. You know what I'm saying? You know, we didn't have that. He goes, and I was driving. And he said, as soon as I crossed the bridge to turn onto 64, he said, I flipped my Explorer on the bridge. He said, here's the thing about falling asleep at the wheel. You don't know when you fall asleep. You just fall asleep. See, this is what's happening in the church in Sardis. They didn't make the decision. You know what I'll do today? I think I'll go to sleep on my faith. None of us make that decision. This is what Michael told me. He said, I fell asleep because I subtly quit, quit listening to the signs. Hey, pull over, Michael. You're tired. There's a rest stop. There's a rumble strip. I just ignored all the signs. And he said, really, what was happening was this. He said, I stayed too late. I made some decisions before I drove that weren't wise. I was too tired. I'd sacrificed some stuff. See, when you and I fall asleep at the wheel of the faith of what God's called us to, oftentimes we don't even realize it. But what's happened is this. We've just made some subtle decisions ahead of time. And they begin to pave this way. And Jesus is calling this church. He's saying, hey, I want you to wake up. And here's why. Here's why this is good news. Because what Jesus is saying is, he's not saying, I don't want you to experience any comfort in the world. What he's saying is this, the comfort that I have for you comes in your calling. The comfort that Jesus has for you and I today is this. It's in Christ's grace in his life, this new life. Matter of fact, you know, when he writes this, I can only imagine what the church of Sardis was feeling. Hey, Jesus wrote y'all a letter. Hey guys, Jesus wrote us a letter. I wonder what it says, right? Can you just imagine that first church time where everybody gets together and he's like, hey, you have a reputation for being alive. You're dead. And everybody's probably looking around the church going, I think he's talking to you, right? You know, we always blame everybody else. But I love what Hebrews chapter 12 says. Hebrews chapter 12 
verse 5 says this about when Jesus calls us to wake up. It says this, he says, and you have forgotten these words of encouragement that addresses you as sons and daughters. See, when Jesus invites us to wake up, he's loving us. He says, you've forgotten this word of encouragement. My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Then he goes on to say this in verse 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best, but God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. See, when Jesus invites you and I to wake up today, maybe there's a place in our faith and our journey with him that we've kind of fallen asleep. He's saying this, he's going, I want to produce a harvest of righteousness in you. I want to wake you up to the good life. I want to wake you up to your comfort. I want to wake you up to the hope and grace of Jesus. I remember when I sprained my ankle uh, my senior year in basketball, and, and man, it was bad. It was to the point where I couldn't even like tie my shoe, couldn't fit my foot in my shoe. And I went to the doctor, and this is what they told me to do. They said, yeah, they said, here's what you need to do. It's not broken, but they, you've like stretched all the tendons and stuff like that. They said, here's what you need to do. You need to go home, get a five-gallon bucket of ice and water, wait about 20 minutes so it's freezing cold, and then stick your foot in the water. And I'm like, okay, okay, great, right? You know, and I go home and I put it in there for like two seconds, like, ain't doing that, right? You know, and I put it, and I'm like, is there any other way for healing? And this is what they told me. They said, nope, the only way you can heal what the damage has happened is this, you have to put your foot in the ice. And I'm like, but it's painful. And they said, I know, but it's through that pain that there's healing. There's healing. What happens is, and you've seen maybe some sports people do that, they put, they put themselves in those ice baths. And you're like, what are you doing? What happens is this, all of your blood vessels begin to constrict and it helps healing happen in the body. How could that be when something feels painful that there's healing? See, this is the good work of Jesus in our life. This is the good work of the Spirit. When he calls things out in us, he's not trying just to make us feel bad. He's wanting to heal what's broken. He's wanting to wake us up to the good work of Jesus in our lives. See, this is what happens when we begin to allow Jesus to speak into our life. He wakes us up to humility. This is what we love about people, isn't it? We love people who are full of humility. We love people who think of others more than themselves. And this is what happens when we wake up to the grace of Jesus, when we wake up to the goodness of God, we wake up to his humility. This is how he starts the passage. He says, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits, talking about the Holy Spirit, and the seven stars. See, what happens in our life is this. We fall asleep at the wheel of faith when we believe our faith is based on our goodness rather than the goodness of God. This is called legalism. Legalism is when I believe that God loves me and God chose to save me because I'm good. Here's the only thing that happens. When you live that way, here's what will begin to happen in your life. You will find yourself more bitter at God and more angry at God because God is not doing what you want. Jesus says it this way in Matthew chapter 23, verse 27. He says this to the Pharisees. He says, woe to you teachers of the law and you Pharisees, you hypocrites. You were like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of dead men's bones and everything unclean. 
It's amazing, Jesus reserves some of the harshest words, not for those who are far from God, not for those who don't even believe in God. He reserves the harshest words who have actually fallen asleep to the tender heart of God. I remember uh, it was about six years ago, before I transitioned to become the lead pastor of the church here, I was in this learning cohort with other guys who were transitioning to become lead pastors at their churches. And we, uh, we went around and we got to visit a couple different pastors across the country who had done the same, except they were 20 or 25 years down the road from transition to being the lead guy. And I remember one time we got to go to Irvine, California, which is Orange County. It is the safest, it's been voted the safest city in America for like the last 10 years, right? And uh, of course, I feel like the Lord's calling me to the safest city in America, right? You know, what pastor, you know, doesn't say that. And Irvine is right there, Orange County. It's right down by Newport Beach. It's one of the wealthiest uh, zip codes in America. And I remember we were sitting in the back of this pastor's backyard together. His name was Kenton. And I just flat out asked him. I said, Kenton, really? Orange County? Safest city in America? One of the richest places in America? Really, the Lord called you here? Their weather, the weather they have in Orange County is only found in 2% of the world. Really, suffering for Jesus out here, Kenton. He's like, I hear you, I hear you. He said one question to me. He said, Nate, who did God say was the most spiritually dead? So the Pharisees? He said, right, and who are the Pharisees? They look good on the outside, but on the inside, they're dead. He said, Nate, Orange County is full of beautiful people on the outside, and they are absolutely dead on the inside. He said, I don't live here for the weather. I live here because we have people who are dying all across this valley. And then he told me, his, his house backs up to a graveyard. He said, and I got the house for 40% of the value because nobody likes to live next to a graveyard. I'm like, that's how you live in Orange County, right? You know, I'm like, as a pastor, I couldn't compute the math. I'm like, of course this is it. But I remember that defining moment of clear, compelling vision of Kenton's heart for this valley. He's looking around going, oh man. And what I saw that day was not a pastor who was just trying to live the high life. What I saw was this, a pastor who was consumed with humility because he understood the heart of God. He understood there are people who can look beautiful on the outside, not just lost people, but even Christians who can look great on the outside, but on the inside, everything is dead. Matter of fact, as you study scripture, what you'll find is this, this was the history of Israel. They wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted a king like everybody else. They wanted the outside to be great by, like everybody else and they never wanted God to be the king of their heart. Even King David, before he was selected by God through the prophet Samuel, God told Samuel, go to the house of Jesse. It's gonna be one of his sons. And David was the runt. He was the littlest, youngest brother. And he had all these older brothers who were bigger and stronger than him. And Samuel was like, well, obviously God, that's the one. Obviously God, that's the one. God's going, that's not the one. Listen to what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse seven. It said, but the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance nor of his height, for I've rejected him. Talk about David's older brother. He's going, that's not the one I've chosen. See, the Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? The heart. See, oftentimes this is how we fall asleep at the wheel of faith. We're consumed with the exterior 
and we forget the interior. This is why Paul gives good news to the church in Ephesus. And for us today, he says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 through 5. He says, but because of God's great love for us. See, this is why Jesus is calling the church to Sardis to wake up. Because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And it is by grace you've been saved. See, God sees us in our deadness and he goes, I've come to bring you alive. See, when God rebukes you, he's not just trying to berate you. He's not trying to beat you down. He wants you to experience the new life that this world can't offer you. He wants you to wake up to the humility and the kindness and the love of God. Because when we wake up to that, that is the love that comes out of us. And this is what Jesus is saying here to the church. He's going, I want you to wake up to humility. And here's what happens when you and I wake up to humility. We wake up to the work that God has for us. Do you know this? That God has a work for you to do today. Matter of fact, sometimes people come here and they go, oh, large church, you guys probably don't need me. Can I just let you know, we have over a thousand volunteers and leaders that serve here every weekend. That is the only way the church thrives is when the church is unleashed into their work. As a matter of fact, can we just give a hand to everybody in this room that serves, that leads life groups, that greeted you? Larry, everybody who plays up here in the band, Hannah and Sam are the only ones that are on staff up here today. Everybody else, they come here Thursday night and they offer up their time for rehearsal. They come here Saturday, they come here Sunday and they pour it out and here's why. Because if you talk to them, they go, this is the gift that God's given me and I wanna offer my life. See, the good news of God is this, he wakes us up to work. Men, I just want to talk to you just real briefly. And women, maybe this message applies to you as well. But I've, I have this conversation way more often with men. It's this. They go, yeah, 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 I get Jesus. He wants to save me from my sin. But then this is the vision that oftentimes men get of Jesus. And the future is this. This is God, like, this is the, the vision that if we're not clear, this is what people take. That the vision that God has for men is this. Just don't mess up anymore. And so the rest of your life, men... You live walking on eggshells. Oh, is Jesus going to hit me with that lightning bolt? Uh-oh. Oh, better not. Oh, boy. I cussed this week. Better go to church twice this week, right? You know? And this is what happens. We begin to live in a passive way instead of an active way. This is why Jesus tells the church, he says this, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. He's saying, Sardis, I want you to wake up to me, not just because of you, but because we have a dying world around you. And we have so many opportunities for people. Caroline and Mark, we're up here hosting today. They're going to be out in the living room. We have so many opportunities for you to step into. This is why we talk about next steps all the time. It's because God has work for us to do. Matter of fact, just I would encourage you, before you even sign up to serve anywhere in the future, I just want to remind you of this. Begin to see God at your work this week. See, God is at work with you this week. Some of you in here are school administrators. Some of you are coaches. Some of you are CEOs. Some of you work in the nursing field. Some of you work in business. I guarantee you this, the Lord wants to display his grace and his mercy by how you show up to work. See, the God is with you. He cares about your work. He is at work 
in your work. One of my favorite passages happens later on in Ephesians chapter two, right after he says that God has made us alive when we were dead in transgressions. He says this in verse eight and nine. He says, for it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not by works so that nobody can boast, but then he says this, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus, and then here it is, you ready? To do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You need to know today, your heavenly father has created you. He loves you. He wants to bring you a life. And then he says this, and I want to bring you a life with the gifts that I've given you to bless other people. Michael Watson was telling me when he flipped his explorer on the bridge, he said, uh, yeah, I made a lot of people mad that day. And I'm like, well, I'm sure your mom wasn't mad at you. I'm sure she was scared. He goes, no, I shut the entire bridge down that day. And he said the entire bridge had to shut down both sides from Kentucky to Indiana. And he said, he goes, and here's what I realized. He said, when I fell asleep, he goes, it wasn't just me. He said, my impact rippled out from me. And he said, and when my explorer tipped over, he said, I, I couldn't get out. He said, there was a man who saw it. He pulled over the road and he came running over and he said, he opened my door and he pulled me out of my car. He said, to be honest, I don't know where I'd be without that guy today. See, sometimes we underestimate how God wants to do a great work in us through our everyday life. This is why he calls the church in Sardis, he goes, wake up. And it's not just for you. He's saying, Sardis, I want you to wake up because you have a city that is asleep and God is waking up their hearts. God is calling to redeem their life. And this is why he simply says this phrase, remember therefore what you have received and heard. Obey it and repent. And Jesus just simply tells the church, hey, remember Remember what you received, church. See, what happened in the church was this. They had forgotten what Jesus had done for them. You know how you and I don't fall asleep at the wheel? We wake up to grace daily. We wake up and we remember. This is what Jesus tells them. Hey, remember what I've done for you. Remember what you've received Remember that I'm at work. And then he says, obey and repent. I love what Tim Keller says about this. He says, religion is I obey, therefore I am accepted. But he said, the good news of Jesus is this. Because of Jesus' work on the cross, I am accepted. And because I'm accepted, therefore I obey. See, oftentimes when we reverse that, we lose the good news of Jesus. Okay, God, I'm obeying. You better bless me. No, God has blessed us. It says this in Ephesians chapter one, God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. Do you remember the blessings of Jesus that pulled you out of the wreckage, that puts your feet on solid ground? He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. And then he says this, they will walk with me dressed in white for they are worthy. And he who overcomes will like them be dressed in white, talking about the day of judgment in the future. They'll be dressed in white and I will never blot out their name from the book of life, but will acknowledge them before my father and his angels. Here's what the Lord wants us to do today. Two things, wake up and walk. Wake up and walk. 
I love this phrase here. He says this, they will walk with me. Your Savior Jesus walks with you. He loves you and he sees you. He goes, hey, I want, I want to wake you up to this life, but I don't want you just to wake up and, and I'll come back and I'll visit you next Sunday at 945 and I'll see how you did this week. That's not what he does. You know what he does? He goes, I want you to wake up and I want to walk with you. Where is it today in your life that the Lord is wanting to wake you up so you can walk with him? Maybe it's been your past. Maybe there's some comforts in this world that you are over-trusting in today. And Jesus says, hey, those are good things. Those are blessings, but they are not your Savior. And he wants to wake you up today. Here in a moment, we're going to take communion. And what I love about this is I was thinking about Jesus' words is this. Every week we take the bread and the juice. And what it is is this. Every week when we take it, it's this. It's kind of a wake-up call. It's kind of a wake-up call to remember, oh, yeah, Jesus let me, let me remember what I've received from you. Let me remember the grace that you've given me. Let me remember the work that you prepared for me to do. Let me remember today, Jesus, that you walk with me. Jesus, you have my, my good at heart. Before we take communion together, I just want to read this passage. And I love this passage, it's Psalm chapter 121, and it's just David's honesty before God. And listen to what he says. In his honest moments, he remembers the goodness of God. Listen to what he says in Psalm chapter 121. He says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor what? Sleep. Here's the good news of God today. Even if there's areas in our life that we've fallen asleep at the wheel, God never falls asleep on us. He's constantly watching over us. He's constantly walking with us. Go, I want you to wake and walk with me by the power of the Holy Spirit. See, what we do when we take the bread and the juice every week is that we remember what he's done for us. We remember, God, there is no other comfort in this world. God, it is only your grace that we live by. God, I don't have to make my work my life, but God, I just have to let you do a work in my life. Today, where do you need to let Jesus to wake you up to his love and his goodness today? What I'm gonna invite you to do in this moment is we're gonna put that Psalm 121 up on the screen and we're gonna give you a moment just to think about that and allow God to maybe if there's an area that you need to allow him to wake you up today, I'm gonna to give you a moment with the Lord and then what we're gonna do is this, we're gonna come back and we're gonna take the bread together and we're gonna take the juice together and we're gonna to declare that Jesus alone is the one who can save us. So let's take a moment and reflect on these words right now, and then we'll come back and we'll take communion together. Let's look at Psalm 121 together right now and talk to our Father.
Right now, I want to invite you to grab the bread. And if you're taking communion with us today, what I want, want to invite you to do is this. When you take the bread, we declare this, that Jesus, you are my help. I may look everywhere else, but Jesus, you alone are my help. And so right now, let's take the bread to remember what Jesus did for us on the cross. And let's take the juice to remember that not only did he die for our sins, but he overcame death and shame forever. Let's take the juice together. Father, in this moment, we thank you that God, sometimes you speak just like Jesus spoke to the church in Sardis. God, you call some things out in our lives and Lord, I'll just, I'll be honest. Sometimes it is painful to hear the truth. But Jesus, in this moment, we just say thank you for speaking the truth over us because you love us, because you're for us. And today, Father, I pray for those hearts in this room or maybe watching online that God, they may think there is no way God wants anything to do with me. Lord, today, God, would you wake their hearts up to your love and your grace. Father, this week, through our work, through our relationships, through the power of the Spirit, God, may we awaken to your work that you're doing in our everyday lives. And Father, may we simply join you today. Thank you for never sleeping or slumbering on us, but watching over us. You are our good Father, and Jesus, you are our King. And it's in your name that we pray. And everybody said together, amen. May we wake up and walk with him this week, everybody. God bless you all. We'll see you next weekend.